Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 314 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger and dear friend, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start here um, Friday, October 15th at the Pachanga Arena, San Diego, California, USA. Over here, this one was on ESPN+. Plus. Um, just one fight really to mention. It was the main event. Emmanuel Navarrete, now 35-1, and one, a unanimous decision over 12 against... Uh, former world title challenger Joet Gonzalez now 24 and 2. Um, scorecards 116-112 twice and 118-110. Um, I think it was a little bit of an easy pick. That's what I expected to happen, really. I really rate Navarrete as a fighter. Obviously, still very young as well. I mean, Joet Gonzalez. Uh, the challenger here for the world title. Obviously, it was a defense of Navarrete's WBO featherweight title. Um, you know, he's actually older than Navarrete because Navarrete is only 26. Joet Gonzalez, 28. We forget how young he is, Navarrete. Such a good fighter. Um, so, yeah, I expected him to win. I expected him to probably win on points, and he did. Uh, moving out now to the Arena Riga in Latvia over here. Top cruiserweight Maris Bradis defended successfully his IBF cruiserweight world title against Arta Mann, who's now 17 and 2. Bradis now 28 and 1. A TKO in the third round. Straight away, they've called out Lawrence Sicoli. What an amazing fight that'd be. Bring it on, I say. On the undercard as well, friend of the show, Harlem Eubank moved to 12 and 0. His opponent, Nika Nakashidzi. Um, retired on his store after after five rounds. So Harlem Eubank, like I say, 12-0. and 0. Um, Moving out now to the Newcastle Arena, Newcastle United Kingdom over here. Let's start with the main event, I think. Well, I'm not even sure what the main event was. It was kind of weird the way they scheduled everything. The best fights, I felt, came on first on the telecast. It was weird. Anyway, let's just start with whatever. I'm going to start with the big men. Huey Fury with a win, now 26-3. and three. His opponent, Christian Hammer, retired on his store after five rounds, citing a bicep injury. Um, not many people are buying it, to be honest with you. I think Huey Fury boxed quite well. I think the fight was more of a fight than a boxing match. Uh, in my eyes anyway, I, I expected it to to 100% go to distance, it didn't go to distance obviously, but I expected Huey Fury to win, and he did, so he's the first man to actually stop Hammer um, since I believe his cousin Tyson Fury, I mean he's been the distance in the meantime with Povetkin, with Pulev, um, was it Pulev? Uh, no, sorry, Povetkin, Luis Ortiz, so that's a statement there from Huey Fury, um, you've unmuted yourself Eddie, so I guess you're going to say something. Yeah, I watched. I actually watched it. Oh, okay. I, uh, I I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched it. Uh, I think a playback of it. And 
this room takes me back to when I was working with Huey and, and all of the things he would do. He just does so many different things. Sometimes I think he does it a little bit much, but a lot of times it's just, you know, he puts people in such awkward positions with how he switches stances and throws jabs from sometimes you don't even know what stance he's in. You know what I mean? He's, 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 I like, he has a great deal of talent and ability. Just, he's not a, his punching, his punches aren't really like showy. You know what I mean? They don't look like, oh, he, you know, he, he knocks, he's gonna knock somebody crazy out. You know what I mean? Like with, with his power, but he's, he has a workman type of performances. He's like, the, he's the kind of guy that he'll put his hands on you a lot. At times he can be a little inactive. But in this case, when I watched the fight, he was he was counter-punching well, moving well. Um, he let himself get in the corner a little bit too many times because I think Hammer's only chance was to get him in the corner and, you know, pound on his body a little bit, try to wear him down. But he also has a granite chin, so it's it's really difficult for someone to, to, to just beat Huey outright. Plus, he's a big guy, too. So, But it was, a, it was an actually interesting fight, and I was happy to see Huey do well. Yeah, me too. Friend of the show, of course, Huey Fury. Um, really nice guy, really nice guy. Um, yeah, I'm happy for Peter Fury as well, obviously, in the corner with his son. And in the corner for this one, here's Savannah Marshall, now 11-0, and 0, a TKO in round two against Lolita Musea, who is now 16-1. She was undefeated going in. Uh, she came and, you know, really gave it a go in the first round, absolutely emptied the tank. And she was able to mark up Marshall initially in the first round. Um, you know, Marshall had a little bit of reddening on the face and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately she was taken out by Marshall and it was a good stoppage from the referee. Uh, defense there of Marshall's WBO female middleweight title and an immediate announcement afterwards saying that Clarissa Shields will be sharing a card with Marshall. I think it's in... Um, I think it was it November. I've forgotten right now. But anyway, they're going to share a card later on in the year. Then they're going to get it on and it's going to be a huge fight and it's going to take place in early 2022. Um, elsewhere on that card, Chris Eubank Jr. now 30 and uh, sorry, 31 and 2, a retirement after five rounds. His opponent, Wanik Aldijan, retired in the corner, now 28 and 2. He was hurt by a body shot. I'm not sure if it was a quick job or not. I think he said he broke his rib. I don't know. It is what it is. But it's weird how many people retired on their stall in round five or after round five. I think that's three already we've talked about there. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, obviously, Harlem Eubank and Chris Eubank and Huey Fury. Weird. Um, Bradley Ray with a win, 11-0 now. Really pleased for him. A points win over eight against the very tough and game Jed Smith. Now 13-4 with a draw. Um, referee gave the scorecard 77-75 there for Bradley Ray. Smith down in the first round from a left to the body. Um, I didn't actually manage to catch all of this fight. I saw the last few rounds. It looked like a brilliant, brilliant fight. And Bradley Ray nearly had him out there, I think, in the last round. Um, yeah, really, really pleased for him. Very good guy obviously it's a bit tricky you know pulling in someone like Jez Smith on what was it about two weeks notice something like that it's very very tricky Jez Smith very experienced way better than his record suggests and he pushed Bradley Ray close there you know and it's it's a great fight there for Bradley Ray to learn from and to bounce into you know to also springboard I guess into into bigger and better fights really because I think he's got quite a high ceiling we're yet to see where it is of course but 
he is ticking all the right boxes at the minute, man. And no one has an easy fight with Jez Smith. You've only got to look down his record to see that. Kerman Leharaga had nightmares with him. You know, and that's an established European-level um, fighter there. You know, Bradley Ray still coming through. Like I say, only 11-0. and 0. Um, It's got to be probably the hardest fight on his, um, you know, on his resume at the moment there. And moving out now to the Chuck Chansey Park in Fresno, California, USA. This one, of course, was on the zone. Um, an upset, actually. Elwin Soto dethroned of his WBO World Light Flyweight title against Jonathan Gonzalez. That was a split decision over 12 for Gonzalez. Um, he's now 25-3 and three with a draw. Elwin Soto, 19-2. and two. Elsewhere on the card, Brock Jarvis, the Australian, moved to 20-0. and 0, But, oh my God, he was absolutely gone, I think, in one of the rounds. He come back and got the knockout in round five against Alejandro Frias, who's now 13-5 and five with two draws. Brock Jarvis, I think, you know, very uh, uh, low ceiling, I'd say. Um, Jesse Bam Rodriguez, a man with a very high ceiling, now 14-0, a KO in round four against Jose Borgos. Um, Nikita Ababi with a win as well, 11-0, pretty much a shutout against Sani Duverson. That's the fifth loss in a row for him. He's now 11-5 with two draws. And Diego Pacheco with a win, a last round KO. That was an eighth round KO against Lucas De Abreu, who was undefeated 12-0. Now Pacheco is 13-0. Um, but the main event, of course, oh boy, oh boy, Mikey Garcia upset here, 40-2 against Sandor Martin, who's now 39-2. It was a majority decision over 10 rounds for the Spaniard, and I was absolutely shocked. I mean, Mikey started really slow in the fight. He allowed Martin to get into a groove, and when he got into the groove, he was stuck in the groove. You know, he didn't come back out. Mikey did a lot of feints early on. Um, they were working. You know, the, the Spaniard looked a little bit worried about the power of Mikey, the pressure of Mikey, but he was, you know... I don't know, he just didn't he didn't do anything with those feints, Mikey. You know, he, he had the guy weary. You know, Martin was weary, but Mikey, you know, like I say, did all the feints and didn't do enough throwing. And Martin boxed out of his skin. It was the by far the best performance of his career. Um, he showed laser-like upper body movement. And Garcia was really struggling to land shots. He was being outworked. Um, Sandor Martin's footwork was excellent. Mikey looked old and over, you know, old, old overnight or rusty. Obviously, they mentioned he's had seven fights in seven years. I think, I think his prime's gone. I think, you know, he's had a lot of promotional issues, and it's a big shame because he was second best in every department. And I've always been the number one member of the Mikey Garcia fan club, and it hurts me to admit this, but he looked dreadful, and I felt the right man won. I'm glad they didn't rob him, and it was crazy. It, you know, it left me speechless. Um, I don't know if he needs to consider his future, and I mean maybe retire, or perhaps go back down to 140, because 147 is never going to really be his weight class, I mean, come on, he's not going to beat you know, you wouldn't even give him a chance against someone like Crawford or someone against, or someone like well, we've already seen the Errol Spence fight, they're the two champions, so he's not going to beat Crawford based on that, he's not really got any business up at that weight, he's already a four weight world champion, that tells you all you need to know, he doesn't need to become a fifth you know a fifth weight world champion a five weight world champion he should go back down to one of those weight classes that he was the absolute king at um yeah 
And um, yeah, they even said on the commentary he needs a KO after I think it was six rounds. So they they saw what I saw as well, and it was it was bad for Mikey Garcia. He said he felt he won the fight, um, but yeah, I think he he probably will watch it back. He's a very honest guy, you know. I've I've been a massive fan of him, not just as a boxer but as a person. Such a cool guy. He's on the intro every week for crying out loud. You don't make it that far if I don't like you a lot. But it just wasn't to be his night, Eddie. I don't know if you saw any of it. If you did, please throw in your 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 take. If you didn't then um, where do you think Mikey goes from here based on what I've told you? Honestly, I watched the highlights. At first, I didn't see a lot that separated him. But as the guy got more confident, got into a groove, he proved he belonged, at least in, the, at least in this version of Mikey fighting at that weight. And I think the guy was a little bit sharper you know, with his, with his hand speed. And I think his crafty movement, head movement, threw Mikey off. Like, Mikey is not one of those guys that is skilled in a way where guys would say, like, he's, he's crazy. He's crafty, but he doesn't have a whole lot of the, uh, what I like to call the sauce. That's not his style. You know what I mean? He's good. Technically, he does a lot of good, you know, he does a lot of things right. But he doesn't have any real extra, extra things about him. But what makes him intriguing is that he was always able to win. He was always able to come out on top. And he was always uh, in, the, in more than in the fights. He was pretty much dominating at his right weight. But when he went up and fought Earl Spence, I know a lot of people are going to start attributing to this to the fight when he fought Earl Spence and basically say, "Oh, well, you know, he took a lot out of him and all of that." But he hasn't been active. He hasn't taken a lot of pun- taken a lot of punishment since. He's. Um, I don't think it's that. I think it's just him being at the heavier weight fighting guys at that size that are doing things in some ways like this guy a little bit faster than him you know what i mean able to take his punch you know able to keep certain distance between them able to get respect from him too as well so it's like it's really difficult to campaign at a heavier weight like this if you're not going to be able to do what you're famous you know what i mean out punching guys you know out skilling them and it's just it's just unfortunate because Mikey, most, most of us agree that Mikey was one of the best fighters in the world, you know, especially before he fought Earl. So it's just unfortunate now to, to see him in this position, having this big upset like this, you know, and, you know, his career at this point, I definitely think he should, you know, at least think about campaigning at 140, 135 at least, you know what I mean? And, and just to see where it goes, get back into his winning ways, get some more confidence, not to say that his confidence is that show taken from it because he obviously still thinks he's won the fight or whatever, but at the end of the day, the judges gave it to the other guy, and most people agree with him. So you've got to regroup, you know what I mean? He's got to regroup. He's got to get back to, to, to what he's what he's really good at, where he's comfortable weight-wise, and handle business there, and then hopefully we'll see, you know, we'll see him rise back up to the top. As far as Martin, I mean, this guy's the limit now for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, don't, I wouldn't go crazy over this win to the point where I'm calling out some of the real, real serious guys out there like, you know, like the Earl Spences and all of those and then and, 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 uh, Terrence Crawford's and, and um, uh, Sean Porter's and, and even even the young guy. I think I think a lot of these guys should stay away from Boots Ennis too. So uh, I wouldn't go crazy, but I would start to look at ways of putting myself in a position to make some, make some real money. And um, and see how I fare against the top competition. But find somebody a little more, 
a little more doable than those guys. Okay, there we have it. But just before we welcome our special guest, it's now time to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, but the opinions expressed are those of myself and former heavyweight world title challenger Eddie Chambers. Halloween is approaching, if you didn't already know. I'm sure you did. But the one thing that's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween is shaving your balls with anything other than Manscaped. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins. You don't need to do that because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the 2 million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code box hard now i'm sure a lot of you that are into that stuff are into you know below the waist grooming i'm sure there's been times where you've tried to trim your balls and it's turned into a freddy krueger film no need for that to happen again manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh as well with their new uh, you know, they're new formulas. There's there's new ones all the time. I myself have tried, obviously, the Crop Preserver, which is the Ball Deodorant, and I've tried the Crop Reviver, which is the Ball Toner. As I've said before, myself and Eddie absolutely love this stuff. Um, again, you can buy the Performance Package 4.0 with that 20% off discount, and it is so, so worth it, I must say. I mean, their finely tuned pube products feature a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet, and as I said, it is waterproof. You can take this thing in the shower. Again, inside that Performance Package 4.0, you get the Weed Whacker, a total game changer to your men's hygiene arsenal. And of course, the Weed Whacker is a nose and ear hair trimmer that provides proprietary skin safe technology that helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes and then seal the deal with the liquid formulations. As I said, the crop preserver, the ball deodorant, the crop reviver, the ball toner. These will make sure your pumpkins stay fresh. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. And again, if you buy this this particular package, the 4.0, Manscaped even throw in two free gifts. And those gifts are the Manscaped boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. Remember, if you're looking like you're being picked up and carried on wolverine shoulders manscaped.com is the website to visit and remember to use that promo code box hard for 20 percent off plus free shipping but anyway that's it though for part one the final thing for me to do is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO junior welterweight and IBF welterweight champion of the world. It is, of course, the KO King, Mr. Randall Bailey. Randall, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on, Randall. So I'd like to start where I always start with these kinds of interviews. Um, where did the boxing yeah. journey begin? What's your earliest memory of ever first lacing up a pair of boxing gloves? Back in, I want to say, yeah, it was like 80, I think, 89. I had my mom take me to the gym. And I mean, the second day, my second day at the gym, I was sparring. I was sparring kids that had fights already. And and just off of what they showed me the day before, the jab, they showed me a jab and a straight right hand. 
I was sparring just using the jab and the right hand. And right then and there, they, they couldn't believe that that was my second day in the gym. Wow. That's incredible, man. That's incredible. I like to ask that question. There's a lot of different answers we get. Um, obviously, before you turn pro, you boxed as an amateur. Um, do you remember how many amateur fights you had? Yeah, I had, I had 19 amateur fights. Okay, so not a real long career. Um, did you have... <laughs> They were 15 and 4. 15 and 4, okay. Um, did you have a like a, a standout kind of highlight moment of your amateur career at all? Yeah, a lot of them. I, I, I knocked a guy out uh, in, in the Julian Jackson games, and his body went through the ropes, and his legs stayed in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And... And after the fight, they 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 took me out the ring and took me in the back of a room and some little room and took my gloves off and unraveled my hand wraps piece by piece to see if I had anything in my hands. <laughs> That's crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Good God. <laughs> so um you know, obviously, when you when you turn pro, you you become one of the most devastating punchers in boxing history. In the amateurs, were you knocking guys out regularly? Obviously, you knocked that guy out the out the ring. No, no. Well, in the amateurs, I I got a, I got a couple of I got a I got a lot of knockouts in the amateurs, but it was just like later on, far far like later on when me and Freddie started hanging out a lot and you know he we always hung out but as I started getting older he started making it his business to have me in the gym with him and when he was getting ready for his uh second for the rematch with Tracy Spann uh he brought Tommy Brooks down and um Tommy Brooks pulled me to the side and he told me to work on this specific little routine every day before I did anything else and I mean it like it just increased my power yeah to the maximum you know and it was it wasn't nothing hard and I I, I just continued it you know what I'm saying I I did it so much till I just perfected the move and I mean results <laughs> <laughs> yeah they speak for themselves um so yeah let's cast our mind back here um you made your pro debut april 6th 1996 in miami um you scored a first yeah. round knockout over fernando granda he never boxed again yep. after that uh do you remember much about that fight and perhaps if you had any nervous feelings going into your pro debut i didn't i didn't i didn't well, I had nervous feelings in the neighborhood because my friend, he would always come pick me up every day. And, um, like, a couple of days before the fight, I just asked him. I was like, I was like, I was like, Tap, man, what if I lose? And he was like, man, trust me, you're not going to lose. He used to always, he used to always tell me how good I was going to be. He was like, man, just please don't kill nobody. <laughs> Because <laughs> he always used to tell me I'm, I'm gonna end up killing somebody in the ring. Because he was he was a he was like two hundred something, and but he was short, and we used to spar sometimes. And he used to tell me how hard I hit. Wow, wow. 
He used to tell me how hard I hit. He was like, man. And I and at that time, I really didn't, I really couldn't tell or even try to gauge how, how hard I was hitting. I was just throwing punches, you know? Yeah, it was natural, man. And obviously, Randall, a lot of fighters turn pro. They fight They fight a bunch of hopeless journeymen. Most of the time, people manage to put together a nice few knockouts in a row. However, you were able to consecutively get the knockout early in fights when you first turn pro. Six first-round KOs in a row, then a second-round KO, then a first-round KO. Then you KO Bobby Jones in, 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 in round seven. Um, the longest fight of yours at the time. After that, you knock out Israel Muhammad in five rounds. And after that is where you go back to knocking people out early once again within the first few rounds. Five first-round KOs in a row. Uh, then then, then two second-round KOs in a row. Then a third-round KO. That's when you made the jump. To, 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 I almost get lost. That's when you made the jump to, to fight for the world title. So let, let me reiterate there. 18-0, and 0, 18 KOs, but you're making a huge step up. You box the then reigning WBO um, junior welterweight world champion, Carlos Gonzalez. Very, very experienced pro. 48-3, and three, his record at the time. You know, much more experienced than yourself. The fight takes place Miami, Florida, Saturday, May 15th. 1999 quite incredibly you knock him out in the first round uh 28 seconds i believe is all it took a fabulous left hook and that was the moment randall i think people thought wow this guy certainly is for real tell me about that night well a couple weeks prior to the fight we were hearing rumors about uh vince phillips not is not going to be able to make the fight you know because he was originally supposed to fight Gonzalez for the title and he was having he was having some problems outside of the ring and there was well all the people in the Don King office they was they were saying give me that opportunity because they I mean they 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 loved me down there man they loved me down there Don King the staff everybody they 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 really looked out for me and they wanted me to fight for that title and they 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 made it happen, you know, two week two week notice. But prior to hearing about it, we had done started watching little tapes of Bolio because we was already in a hotel, camped away. So we started watching tapes of him, and I watched a couple of rounds of him fight. I saw him fight um, Hector Lopez. Uh, I think you fought uh, Miguel or Hell Gonzalez, so, somebody else. I watched him fight. I watched him watched a couple of his fights, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna knock this guy out," because <laughs> he 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 just was real slow, and he came straight forward, and I I just I just I'm gonna knock this guy out. Yeah, you certainly did. But just tell me about, obviously, there's not much of the fight to discuss because it ended so quickly. But what did that mean to you, you know, to your family, to your to your hometown, I guess, to win a world title in that fashion? Like, with all those knockouts in a row, I mean, it's just a spectacular thing. I mean, it was it was mayhem that night. <laughs> you know, I was, I was already pretty popular in, in Miami, just growing up but you know once everybody 
watched it on TV and came out to the event because I really I didn't tell nobody I was fighting for the title. They 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 posted it in the newspapers and you know people read about it and they just showed up and it was it was sold out. And I didn't even I didn't know who all was there until I was walking out to the ring. Okay. And yeah, like I say, 28 seconds. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. Um, like I say, I'm sure you, you probably agree with this. A lot of people, I'm sure you had detractors like everyone else. You know, you're knocking all these guys out. People were probably thinking, he's knocking out all these guys. He probably can't do that at world level. And you proved that you could. Um, yeah, just, I mean, it's just amazing. We'll, we'll move on to your first title defense. It come against former two-time world title challenger Hector Lopez. This one took place in Mississippi, December 11th, 1999. Tell me what you remember about that fight, which, of course, was knockout number 20 in a row. <laughs> yeah, Hector Hector was a real tough, crafty veteran. You know, he, he was doing things in the ring that I, me, myself, I had never seen before, and it was just... He was he was really just awkward and just doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Like he was like <laughs> it just I can't even explain some of the stuff he was doing in the ring, but he was hitting me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I just knew I I just knew I would eventually overpower him because I knew I was hitting him really hard. No, he's a he's a you know he he was a f- kind of in some ways a throwback fighter a very tough guy and yeah to think he'd gone the distance with obviously Carlos Gonzalez with um with with Costa Zoo young Costa Zoo um yeah and, and you were the only guy to have ever stopped him in his career which is cool um hey, you gotta think about it you gotta think about it those fights were close fights yeah yeah absolutely you know they didn't, they didn't just walk through him he was. Those fights could have went either way. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. That's why it's important to mention it. Like I say, the only guy to have stopped him. Um, your second title defense, you had to travel to Paris in France. You defended against former world title challenger Rocky Martinez. Now, this one would also yeah. end by stoppage when the ringside doctor stopped the fight at the end of round six. Uh, the severity, of course, of Martinez's cut. Tell me about that night in yeah. Paris, Randall, having to travel to, to Europe, not too far from the UK where I am. We were supposed to fight on the David Reed Trinidad car, but he wasn't ready, so he just moved it. I, 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 I mean, it was it was too small. He was a small guy. I knew he wasn't gonna be able to hurt me or even stand up to me. And I hurt I had my I hurt my right hand in the Okay. Okay. My gloves was on. My gloves was on too tight. I would have stopped him. Yeah. I think I caught him with a right hand that cut him, and I just beat his cut up with my jab. He didn't want. He stopped it. Yeah, yeah. I think the ringside um, doctor did the right thing. Yeah, your third world title defense would ultimately be unsuccessful. You defended the title in Miami against Colombia's Ener Julio. The fight ends in a split decision loss over 12 rounds. Tell me about that one, and I'm sure you felt you did enough that night. Oh, yeah, I thought I did enough to win the fight, but hey, man. This guy, Ana Julio, came in the ring that night 168 pounds. He was a big guy. Yeah, and I was. I think I came in probably 147 <laughs> Maybe. 
Okay. He 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 was just a, he was just a big dude, and I, I I mean I dropped him twice, you know. I mean, hey, the judges did what they did. Hey, I ain't I can't complain about it. Yeah, he had a kind of strange career, really. He um, you know, told me yeah, I ended it. <laughs> yeah, well, after I, yeah, after I, I, I ended it. Yeah, he didn't really do much after that. To be fair, yeah, you're you're pretty you're pretty bang on the money there. Um, <laughs> um, after that, you know, you return to winning ways. You put together a free fight win streak. All wins coming by knockout within two rounds. That's when you travel to Reading, Pennsylvania, to take on Demetrio Ceballos for the interim WBA uh, junior welterweight world title. The fight takes place on o two o two o two February second two thousand and two, mm-hmm. and it took you three rounds to get rid of him. Tell us about that one, Randall, man. Yeah, I mean, I was originally supposed to fight Diabella Tortado. Diabella's pulled out of the fight at least three times. And then he ended up going to fight Ricky Ricky Keyless. So right there, that should have that should have canceled his his um his title fight with me. You know. But I don't know. I don't know what 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 went went on. But I don't know, man. Man, um, Ceballos, we agreed to fight for the title, and they they let us fight. But Demetrius, I have been watching Demetrius since I was like way young, because he used to be in the gym down in Miami, sparring sparring guys a lot. So I was like, man, this guy gonna be tough, because <laughs> I hadn't seen him so much. But I mean, my size, my size for the weight was just too much for him, and the power. Yeah, no, and he was a good fighter in you know in many ways. I think a, a little bit of an underachiever, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he he he, he kind of was raised, I believe, in, in a tough environment. He had, um, I think, sixteen or fifteen or sixteen siblings, um, and yeah, when he turned pro, obviously. A bit of a weird career, um, you know. Had had some tough fights. Obviously, Shane Mosley losses yeah. to him. Losses yeah. losses to Stevie yeah. Johnson. Um, Miguel Cotto ended his career, but none of them did it as early as you did in round three. That has to be said. Oh, <laughs> man, that fight scared the living crap out of me. Why? You remember? Remember, I told you my first fight when me and my friend was talking. He told me I'm gonna end up killing somebody in the ring. <laughs> When you when you knock somebody out and they're laying on the ground stiff, can't move, but their eyes is blinking. Yeah, I can't that, imagine the that, feeling, but it sounds scary. <laughs> that that's a, that's a weird a weird a weird feeling. You know, I know we celebrate now, but after he got up and everything, I knew it was okay. It was just it was kind of weird. Yeah. And three months later, you you traveled to San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, May eleventh, two thousand and two. You you fought him in the end for the vacant WBA Junior Welterweight World Title, Diabelli's Hurtado. Uh, you knocked him down in round two. Uh, you knocked him down in round six. No, 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 no. He no, he knocked. Sorry, he knocked, he knocked me down, you down in round two. My apologies. You you had him down in round six. Then he. He of course wins in yeah. round seven. Um, you were ahead yeah. as well on two of the free scorecards at the time of the stoppage. Yeah. First time you were on the receiving end of a knockout. Tell me about that one, Randall. Yeah. I mean, I always look at fights as 
what they is just fights. You win some, you lose some. You know, it was just, I just feel like my corner really wasn't paying attention to the fight, you know, because he was in bad trouble. You know, he was he was in deep, deep trouble. His, you know, blood was coming out his ear. Blood was literally pouring out his ear. I mean, I couldn't see it while I was in there, but I just feel like my corner, somebody should have noticed that because he was, I mean, he was done. And I'm going to tell you another one. His next fight, what round he got knocked out in? He got knocked out in like the first or the third round and career over. Yeah, second round Vivian Harris, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Career over. Okay, thank so I'm, I'm I'm guessing Vivian Harris owes you a owes you a thank you there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm on track. I'm on track. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So four months after that, you returned to the ring with a first round KO in Indianapolis. Uh, this brings us into the year 2003. You boxed for the WBO junior welterweight world title against the then champion Demarcus Chop Chop Corley. Yeah. The fight takes place yeah. in Washington. This time you lose by yeah. unanimous decision after 12 rounds. Um, tell us about that yeah. one, the first fight, of course, between you both. Um, it was just, it was just me and my trainer at the time. We wasn't really, we wasn't gelling like we had before. And it was just, it was time for me to probably, you know what I'm saying, move, move on. And we go out separate. He, me finding another trainer because we wasn't really, we wasn't gelling like we were before. And, and I mean, I mean, I just felt like he was, he was done teaching me everything he could teach me. It wasn't no more, no more in the bag, you know, and I had to find another way. I couldn't just go out there and keep trying to knock guys out because they hadn't figured out what I was doing. Yeah, and Demarcus is, um, you know, he's a tricky guy. He always has been. He's, he's a little hustler, I think. Um, a guy that really and truly you've got to be on top form to be. I feel like he's been like that for many years, not so much anymore. Even oh, yeah, though he's yeah, still yeah, fighting. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. So, moving on, um, four months later, you came back with a win over one of my favorite journeymen of all time, Reggie Strickland. Uh, the fight took place in <laughs> Indiana. I, I obviously yeah, want to focus yeah, yeah. mainly <laughs> on the biggest fights of your career, but I also want to ask, what was it like to fight Reggie, uh, one of the few people that you were unable to knock out? Him telling me I'm not going to knock him out. <laughs> <laughs> He was he was saying that in the ring while we was fighting, and I think I dropped him like three or four times. <laughs> oh, I think God. I dropped him like three or four times, and he telling me, "You're not gonna knock me out. <laughs> I got I got fights. I got fights next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the week after. <laughs> you know, you know uh, Reggie Reggie was funny. <laughs> yeah, he he is one of my favorite of all time, man. He was a tough, tough hey, guy. Hey, but let me let me tell you, let me tell you something about Reggie. If Reggie would have trained like he wanted to be a real fighter, Reggie would have beat a lot of people. Yeah. If you look at you look at his record, he 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 did he did beat some he did beat a couple guys. Yeah. And there's a few guys that he's he's got a, a number in the loss column which shouldn't be. It should be in the in the W column as well. Yeah, along the yeah, way. yeah, 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 yeah. Reggie yeah. Reggie could really fight, but he just he just didn't he didn't he didn't take take the 
the fighting part that serious. You know what I'm saying? He he came in just to do what he did. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, after that is when you made uh, the first move to welterweight. Your first fight at that weight, you boxed the future IBF junior middleweight world champion, Ishay Smith. Um <laughs> January 15th, 2004 was the date, a Thursday evening in Cali. On this occasion, you're down in round two and beaten unanimously. Tell me about that one, Randall. Uh, I, I thought I beat Ishe. Ishe, <laughs> I mean, if you, if you look at the fight and you look at the damage he was in after the fight, and we go again. What did he do after we fought? He retired for a whole year. He did come well, back and win a world title, though. <laughs> he came. He came back. He came back on a fucking contender. He wasn't even a real fucking fighter. <laughs> <laughs> came Fair back enough. on a contender, man. Come Fair on, enough. man. He was a tough guy, though, man. He he was a tough guy. He got in there with with uh, names. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, you gotta give the guy credit, man. He's been in there with Tony Harrison, Julian Williams, Lubin, Lara. I mean, ha- I mean, you can't keep you can't keep leaving leaving your promoters every time they put you in with a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving, I mean, you got it. You got it. You got to think when he he left Gary Shaw after the fight with me. When he went over to Golden Boy. So they thought about trying to put a man tough. He left them. Then he went over to Floyd, and Floyd them gave him all the breakfast he wanted. <laughs> okay, okay. And then they got, and then they, and they bought him a title shot. All right. Um, <laughs> threw me off track a bit there. Um, after that, <laughs> you bounce back with a knockout win over Lester Yarbrough, um, and then you jump. Right back in with top opposition. You move back down in weight, obviously, to to 140. December 11, 2004, at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, you challenged the undefeated uh, Miguel Cotto for his WBO Junior Welterweight World title. This occasion, you stopped uh, on cuts in round six. Obviously, at that point, you know, I feel like, you know, he was coming through. He was, he was a really good fighter Kota but he hadn't oh, yeah, yeah, he hadn't yeah. even achieved everything at that point I mean he went on to be a brilliant fighter and of course one of the best uh, oh, yeah. from his nation yeah. tell me about that fight there it must have been uh, even though it's a I'm sure it's kind of sour grapes looking back what a what a fight and uh, no, you know, no 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 that fight right there that fight right there was a uh, um uh, uh, eye opener for me because all like I didn't really have a trainer for that fight Really, if you notice the fight, my trainer that I had was he spoke Spanish. He didn't really speak that 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 good English, you know. But he was all I had at the time, and he was a good friend of mine. So, you know, I had to do what I had to do, you know. But that fight, that fight let let me know that if I'm gonna continue boxing, I gotta find me a trainer that knows how to teach that's going to show me different things and help me get my career back on track. Cause I was going to retire after that fight. Wow. If, if I, if I didn't, if I didn't find somebody that could help me and me and my trainer that I, 
hooked up with was uh, Norman Wilson. I fought, I fought one fight after the Cotto fight. Uh, I forgot the Colombian guy's name that I fought after the Cotto fight. Roberto Ortega. But, um, Roberto Ortega. I can't believe I forgot his name. Man, this guy was it was it was it was close. We was friends too. But um yeah, after that fight, I didn't fight again for a whole year because I had hooked up with um my trainer Norman Wilson and he just he was like, just take the time off and we finna get to work and I'm finna teach you and you're gonna learn and man that's the best year I ever had just learning how to fight again. Yeah, back to basics kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you look if you look at it, if you look if you look after the Ortega fight, the knockouts came back. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um yeah, so like we said, back to the timeline after the Cota loss, you, you, you obviously dropped down a few levels uh, in terms of opposition. For about two years, you, you picked up the win over mm-hmm. Ortega. Um, the very first fight after that, you did go to distance, Lenin Arroyo. Um, but yeah, the knockouts did roll in, obviously. Santos, uh, Pacquiao, uh, Juan Perez. No, Lenin, 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 Lenin Arroyo went the distance? Yes, sir. What, what? How many rounds? Eight rounds. Man, you dropped him in the second. Man, I thought they stopped that fight. That was that was, you know what? It's supposed to be a ten round, and they cut it to an eight round. That guy was that guy was his career was over after that fight. His family was screaming outside the ring, but I put him to stop the fight. I was beating him so bad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was yeah. Sad. that was messed up. His mom, his wife. Screaming outside the ring for them to stop the fight. That's how bad I was beating them. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he managed to go the distance. He went on to um, he went on to not really do anything in terms of wins, but he he, he boxed a whole heap of names. He actually was um, a guy that uh, lost to Mike Jones in the future. But anyways, back on track. Um, so yeah, you 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 go the distance with. Lenin Arroyo, you you stop Santos, Pacquiao, Juan Perez, obviously Russell, uh, Stoner Jones, uh, Sean Gallegos as well, Harrison Cuello, and after that's when you travel to Canada, June eighth, two thousand and seven, and upset defeat at the hands of Herman Ngujo, um, a split decision. Tell me about that one. I don't, very really, I don't really worry about those kind of fights. I know what happened. You know, you wouldn't. If you didn't knock a Canadian out, you wasn't winning this, a decision in Canada. At that time. <laughs> Simple as that. Simple as that. He was Simple with the right people. Hey, 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 hey. Look at his career. What happened after that? <laughs> this is like a pattern, man. Everyone, uh, even if you, even if you lose hey, to them, quote unquote, even, they don't do anything it, afterwards. Even, even if I lose, I win. <laughs> <laughs> Never, never, never won a world title, yeah. and and career went down, 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 down till it was over. Yeah, he lost to Paulie Malinaji, came back, um, and then yeah, lost to Juan Durango. Um, yeah, yeah, came back, then lost to Julio Diaz, and that was that. That was that. 
that was that. Um, yeah, so seven months after that, you come back, you knock out Anthony Mora, then you knock out Dairo Esalas in one round. Mm-hmm. After that is when you had the rematch with a man that previously beating you, uh, Demarcus Corley. The yeah. fight takes place in New York on a Wednesday night, October 22nd, mm-hmm. 2008. This time, though, you avenged the defeat by beating him unanimously over eight rounds and dropping mm-hmm. him along the way. Uh, which at that time mm-hmm. not many people did do. Tell us about that win and, of course, what it meant what it meant to you to right the wrong on that occasion. Uh, it really wasn't a big deal to me. You know, I, I was just fighting to... I just... At that time, I, I had my mind focused on getting back in title contention, and he just happened to be in the way. That's it. Wasn't no... I needed... The rematch, but I'm glad he gave it to me because I was able. Nobody else would give me one. Out of all the people I lost to, nobody would give me a rematch, but he did. So that's my man. Yeah, he's a cool. He's a cool guy. Got a lot of time for Chop Chop. Um, that win over him got you in position to fight in the title eliminator against Francisco Figueroa in Memphis, Tennessee. You win that fight by stoppage <laughs> yeah. in round four. Um, easy work there for yeah. you. Uh, this is, is of course, what got you the world title fight against the then IBF champion, Juan Urango. Uh, you're the first man yeah. to knock him down, but ultimately it was him that got a stoppage round 11. Tell me about that. Yeah, Tell me yeah, about that one. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was, I just stayed down there to wait too long. You know, I was dead as a donut for the fight. I, I couldn't do 140 pounds no more. The weight, the weight drain killed me. Yeah, you were there for a long time. Like like we mentioned, there was a point where you kind of half moved up for a couple of fights, uh, and then come come back down, obviously, and and stayed down for for a little while there. Maybe yeah, you, you're probably yeah, right. Yeah, you were down there yeah. too long. Um, yeah. At that point, Randall, I, I'm guessing people were probably starting to think you were not the same fighter you once was. I know you're, you're, you're telling me about the weight, but a lot of the time people don't know about this kind of stuff. The fans don't pay attention to the weights all the time. Um, you know, yeah. you, 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 I guess, were, were getting on in age in terms of prime years. You hadn't been a world champion for almost 10 years, and this was your mm. fourth fouled attempt at a world title since losing the belt. Um, we're obviously going to get to it, of course, but you did end mm. up picking up uh, you know, a world title three years after this, but just briefly in a nutshell, because like I said, we, we we will get to it. How did you keep that belief? Because surely there must have been some tiny bit of self-doubt that you had thinking your world championship days were behind you at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> Tell me about I, that. I, I Tell mean, me about it. Explain I mean, to me, because there's people I, out there that, did, that would hear, did, the, did, hear the whispers and it would get them down. It didn't matter what weight class I was in. If I was comfortable, I could win a world title. And it was just time for me to move up, move up in weight, you know. And I moved up, and I felt comfortable, and it was just a matter of getting getting the shot. So you're saying that even though it had been 10 years, even though some people are saying he's a bit too old now, even though some people are saying he's not getting the knockouts as frequently as, you know, 10 years ago, you just completely was able to channel this out and just put it down to rubbish, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I went over to um, 
my first fight at, at welterweight, I went to um, Chicago and fought, um, what's his name? Jermaine Saunders. Jermaine Saunders, yeah. And then right after that fight, I was in the, I was in the Eliminator. And then I went over to Belgium and fought uh, Jackson Bonzo. Yeah, and I want to touch and, on and knocked him, and knocked him out in less than a minute. <laughs> yeah, and I want to touch on that because um, you know, after the Bonzo fight is the bizarre no contest. I've seen it. Um, what what actually happened there, man? It it I'm sure it was was this the one where you picked the guy up and he fell out the ring? I look at the fight. Look at the fight and look and see where my hands are at. <laughs> I don't my think you meant to, to do it, my, but it, my, it was my, weird. I didn't. I I I meant to do it. I didn't do it. My hands were down on my side. So how he was did holding. He... he was holding. He was holding on to me. What he tried to do was balance himself on the ropes with his glove and went over. I didn't even. I wasn't even holding him up. Yeah, it's, Mind it's, you, it's I went. Weird. I went. I, I bent over. I bent over. And he was leaning over on my on my back, trying to put his weight down on me. And all I did was stood up, and he he was on top of me. Yeah, it is and I weird. turned around, and I, and I turned around, and he went to try to balance himself with his gloves on the rope instead of just getting off me. And I remember the, um, you know, like the the post fight interview when you're when you're leaving the ring and the Belgian TV they they say to you have you ever seen anything like this before and you say no I've never seen anything like this before you didn't know what to say it was just it was weird man it was almost as if some invisible hands picked him because up because he wasn't hurt it was weird but he wasn't hurt he wasn't hurt you don't think so no he wasn't hurt the man was back at the hotel in the lobby on his computer <laughs> Maybe he was looking for the nearby hospital, no? <laughs> he should have went. He should have went there before the fight and told him to put his heart in. <laughs> oh gosh! But no, the, the hey, way he you, went out. But the did ring you was did weird. you did you did you listen did you listen to Roger Mayweather's interview after the fight? <laughs> no, I didn't. Tell me. That's the inter- that's the interview you got to listen to because he said all right there. I will have to find that. I will have to find that. <laughs> Can't you paraphrase what he said? And he all he said was the fight was won before the, the freaking accident or whatever would even happen. He said I came out dictating, doing what I wanted to do, and the other guy and his guy wasn't doing shit. <laughs> Just like that. That's how that's how Roger was. He uh he, he didn't cut cut any corners, he said it straight. And, and then and then and then he said he said well they they asked him, Well, um what what's gonna happen when they do a rematch? He said, Oh Wally better bring a gun and catch me before we get in the ring <laughs> <laughs> and pull his gun on me. <laughs> oh god <laughs> Gosh, gosh, Roger, gosh. Roger was funny. I got an old story when I first met Roger Mayweather. Tell when us, I when us. I won when I when I won my first world title, he was at the fight. He had he had a fighter on the card, and the hotel where we had the after party at. Uh, I was going up to my room to take take my belt and stuff up to the room, and me and Roger was in the in the elevator together, 
and he was like, man, I saw your fight tonight, man. You remind me of me. You're going to be the next Mexican killer. <laughs> and he said, he said, when I get back home, I got to tell my nephew about you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> nah, man, he, uh, he certainly was a character of the sport and uh, very much missed. For sure, yeah, man. It's terrible. It's terrible what what how it all ended for him. Um, yes, yeah, so where were we there? Nine months later, you box in Mississippi, a points win over ten against Yuri Estrella. Uh, then time for the big yeah. one, June 9th, twenty twelve. You box on the Tim Bradley Manny Pacquiao one undercard. Las Vegas, you took on the undefeated twenty six and oh Mike Jones for the vacant IBF welterweight world title. Now you knock him out in round eleven, you become a two weight world champion at the ripe age of thirty eight. Tell me about that one, man. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing achievement once again. I mean, it took it took me a long time to get started for that fight. Again I was getting older, coming down in weight wasn't good for me no more. That's why when I won the title, I immediately, if they didn't give me the Pacquiao fight, move up to 154. They didn't want me to move up to 154. So I could have went, I was going to, my plan was to move up to 154 pounds and challenge K9 Bundred because he was the IBF champion at the time at that weight. I mean, these things happen all the time, you know, but. In my case, they wasn't going to give me that opportunity. But just, again, tell me about what that meant to you to, I guess, prove the naysayers wrong. You know, it's been 10 that, years. That, that, yeah, I like that, that, that uppercut, that, that last uppercut that you landed. That's a great shot, man. I mean, that was, I mean, I worked hard, hard, hard for that fight. And that was the worst training camp I ever had in my life. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I did most of the I did most of the training in my garage at my house. You know, I probably went to the gym a couple of days to spar and try to get some mitt work in with 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 John at the time. But it was it was it was just a horrible camp. I just I did a lot of strength and conditioning and did a lot of road work. You know, I know I know I would be strong. I know if I hit him, I was going to hurt him. But, again, coming down and weight, the weight, weight was killing me. And, Randall, let me let me ask you this. You know you say there that you knew if you hit him, you're going you're gonna to hurt him. Was there ever a fight or perhaps a moment in a fight that you thought you, you're not going to hurt someone if you land? Like, Or did you just always have that belief? Every second of a fight, always, <laughs> always. Okay, I wanted to just—I I just thought if there's ever a time where you thought I actually can't hurt this guy, that's never been the case. Mm-mm. Okay, okay. I love this. I love this. Um, <laughs> the title reign obviously was short. Four months after winning it, you, you lose it in New York to Devon Alexander. Um, yeah, you both had points deducted in round six. Um, tell me what you remember about that fight. Obviously, he was coming through. He was a you know real good fighter at the time. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I already knew what 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 was. That was just that was my way. That was my my exit. 
because they they wasn't finna they wasn't finna let me even like eh, I don't know boxing is boxing is weird man boxing is weird I knew I knew I knew my career was over once that once that fight was over once the fight was over or once the fight got made oh, once it was once it got made I I knew what it was mm-hmm. so. Okay. After that, you're out the ring for 13 months. When you come back, you obviously put together the free fight win streak. Uh, Humberto Toledo, Gundrick King, uh, Shasuku Fujinaka, and then the final fight. I'm sure it's not the way you would have wanted it to end, but let's just talk about it real quick. Um, you made the trip to Australia. You you was you, you uh-huh. was out there. You took on the young and under undefeated uh, future WBO welterweight world champion Jeff Horn. Uh, you're down in round uh-huh. two. He's down in round three, and then your corner pull you out after after seven rounds. Obviously, you're you know you're getting old at this uh, point. I, I I I stopped I stopped him myself. I, I didn't think you'd say that. <laughs> Give yeah, me a I few stopped. words on it. Randall, um, what did you think about Jeff Horn? Did you think he had at that point, uh, you know, the 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 ingredients to become a world champion to beat Manny Pacquiao? I mean, he won the fight, but I don't think he won the fight. You know, against Manny, you're Judges, talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I told you before, the. The day of the weigh-in for the Jeff Horn fight, I literally fainted. Oh man! Luckily, 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 my trainers was in the room with me when it happened. You know, if I was in there by myself and I fell and hit the floor, when I got on the scale, immediately as soon as I was stepping off the scale, I passed out and they caught me. Wow! So really and truly, you so, should have never been in and, the ring the following day. Yeah, shouldn't have never been in the ring, and they 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 wanted to, they wanted to call it off, but I had them I had them came all the way over there. I wasn't gonna do that. Yeah, that was a long flight. Yeah, hell of a long flight. Okay, and well, that is of course where and 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 then, and, then, and then again and then again in my head, I'm thinking one punch. If I hit him, yep. if I hit him, I'm gonna knock him out. <laughs> yeah, and you you so almost did it basically. Basically, what I was saying to myself, make it, just make it to the ring. If you get, if you make it to the ring, you should be all right. But uh, I was dead. And Randall, you know when you when you say that as well, could you believe in your power so much? Did you ever? You can be honest now, I guess, because the career is behind you now. But did you ever cut corners mm-hmm. in training because you thought to yourself, "Ah, I don't want to run that long because you know it's just going to take one punch anyway." Or did you ever cut corners you, you, because you, of that? You, you 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 know what you know what I I didn't I didn't cut because of that. All I, I just thought in my head if I was a hundred percent like really, I'm a I'm a I'm gonna end up killing somebody. Wow. And that that, that that always played in my head a little bit. So you know what? Sometimes I would be like, my seventy five would be good enough. You know. So you were almost scared of yourself being at a hundred percent. Kinda. Is that something? Obviously, is something that you said your your childhood friend said to you that you know you could end up killing someone. Uh, I guess that's yeah, he, yeah, he did, he did, he did, he did tell yeah. me that. He told me that. 
I guess that seed had been planted. Is that something that, you know, you, I'm guessing I mean, you probably couldn't we, have lived with we, yourself if, if you did that. If you look at if you look at some of the fights that I've been in, and I've and you see the outcome of some of the fighters that I done knocked out, their careers was over. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. There's a lot of guys you know, <laughs> that I was looking through, and yeah, they never they never box again. Yeah, you're right. Um, all right, coming down to the last few questions. These are going to be kind of quick fire. Uh, Randall, obviously you, your career finishes with an official record 46 and 9, 39 KOs. Uh, it's, it's a sensational record. But these are the quick fire questions. We've got one, two, three, about five or six of them. You were such a fearsome puncher, but who would you say, out of all the guys you boxed, hit the hardest? Mm. I've never been hit that hard in a fight that made me say, wow, this guy hits hard. But in sparring, I know you don't heard of Richard Gutierrez, Colombian. Richard Gutierrez, yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude hits hard. And I'm talking <laughs> about in sparring, I felt his punches. That dude hit hard. But guess what? That made me want to spar with him every day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, he um, <laughs> didn't really. I, I couldn't really remember the record and how he got on, but yeah, didn't really seem to cut it at the top level. But I love to hear these these kinds of answers. Yeah, but, because, because me, you know. me and him, when he when he was on a roll, when he was on a roll, me and him had the same trainer. Mm-hmm. So before before I started training uh, fully with John David Jackson, Norman Wilson was my trainer. And he was Richard Gutierrez's trainer too. And when he decided he was moving away to the Philippines, Richard had to find another trainer. And guess what? Richard's career went down from there. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's great to hear the the answers to some of this because I thought you'd say someone like maybe, um, gosh, maybe like a Hurtado or something. He could hit hard. Nah, nah. Okay. All right, Richard Gutierrez in sparring. Um, who would you say out of all the guys you you fought? Uh, you know, in 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 all those those fights we mentioned, the the uh, fifty five fights. Who would you say was the best all round fighter that you shared a ring with? I would say, I mean, it was a couple of them. You know, Devin was Devin was good. Yeah. Uh, Hector Lopez was amazing. Um, Miguel Cotto? Miguel Cotto. Yeah, Miguel Cotto. He just he Miguel Cotto is not a, a, a hard puncher, but he throws a lot. Yeah. You know, he he's gonna throw he's gonna throw three, four, five punches at you at a time, you know? He's a it's a, it's more of a accumulation with Miguel Cotto and uh if he keep hitting on you, guess what? You gonna you gonna start to get bruised up. <laughs> Well, yeah, they're all good fighters. They're all good fighters, yeah. of course. Um, which was your favorite win of all? Of all those 46, which one stands out to you as your, your most personal favorite? Uh, the Mike Jones. Mike Jones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a great answer. Um, 
Was there anyone, Randall, that you wanted to fight or perhaps uh, wish you could have fought but didn't get the chance to? Well, man, that's a lot of them. Tell me. Uh, I wanted to fight Teron Millet. I wanted to fight Costa Zoo. I wanted to fight Shambay Mitchell. You know, um, who else? Andre Berto. Uh, Pacquiao. Hmm. I mean, it's just too many. Tim Bradley. And, and a lot of these guys, a couple of them, we had contracts to fight. Like, literally signed contracts and these guys wait waited to the week of or two weeks to pull out of the fight. Yeah. I thought you might have said Ricky Hatton in there. Yeah, they no, they wasn't never gonna put me in with Ricky Hatton. Don King tried to make the fight and they told him to go eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Randall, you, you sound like you speak kind of fondly of Don King. I've had a lot of fighters on this show and I don't think I've ever heard anything nice said about Don King. In your eyes, was he a good man? The best. Okay. Have you got any cool Don King stories? I love hearing these. I mean, Don Don is business. I mean, oh man. Don give you anything you want. Simple as that. If you call him and you need it, He's gonna give it to you, but it's not free. Nobody, <laughs> <laughs> nobody is giving, nobody is giving away free money. I don't know why fighters thought that promoters give away free money. Yeah, I think <laughs> I had someone on the show before. I can't remember who it was. Now it was one of his fighters, and they said that you know never accept any gifts from him because it comes straight out of your next purse. <laughs> yeah, of course he tells you that. I mean. <laughs> Who gives away free money? I don't well, know. not, not Don, Don King. King. <laughs> King. Don King not giving away free money. If he gives you something, he lets you know that it is a loan and he wants it back. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, now, what he will do now, he will, he'll, he'll, nego- he'll negotiate with you, you know, and be like, give me, okay, if you, if you owe him 100000 he'll be like, all right, just give me 50 back. You know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Okay, okay. Um, I want to ask you this as well, Randall. Are there any regrets? If you could go back and change something, would you? What would it be? Do you have any regrets? Nah. That's the best answer. I love it when... Not many fighters say that to me. A lot lot of fighters have got tons of regrets. They want to go back and do this. The best way to be, of course, the key to happiness is to have no regrets. Okay, that's great. I'm pleased to hear you say that. I want to ask you as well, Randall. Obviously, the career has come to an end now. You had a brilliant career. Mm -hmm. You won world titles 10 years apart. It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Are Are you content? Are you a happy man these days, 2021? Oh, hell yeah. Beautiful. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> Beautiful, man. And what are you up to now? Obviously, a lot of fighters, they retire from the sport. They've got no idea which way to look, which way to turn. What's keeping you busy? What's getting you out of bed these days? Getting up in the morning, going to get in this truck, driving every day. You're a truck driver? Yep. Okay. Yeah, just a big box truck. We pick up We pick up um, biohazard. 
you ever get in any road rage? <laughs> all all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> luckily, luckily it's just me in the truck. They can't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Hopefully, you you never have to pull over only, or anything only, like that. Only, only only person only person here is my wife because I'm when I'm when I'm driving in the car, I still have the same road rage when I'm like I'm in my truck. I just hope no one ever tries to say, hey, pull over, pull over, let's get out and fight. We don't Mm -hmm. need that. We do not need that. Mm -hmm. I want to put you on the spot Mm -hmm. here, Randall. I gave you a heads up on this question because I said I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Favorite UK fighter, any era? The listeners love to hear this. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, it's a couple of them. You can tell me as many as you want, man. Joe Calzaghe. Oh yeah, Lennox Lewis. Yep. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna say Ricky Hatton. Yeah. Cool. You know. Yeah, these are all popular answers. A lot of people say this. A lot of obviously, you get the most popular answer is uh, Prince Nassim Hamed. Everyone. Says I was, that. I was, I was, just, I was just about to say him. I was just yeah. about to say him. Yeah. People love the Prince. But those, but, yeah. but, but, but those, but those are my top. Those are my top ones right there. Yeah, you can't argue with that. They're fantastic, all of them. Um, and just finally, before we wrap it up, Randall, um, if you've got any closing message uh, just to the to the listeners, to people that listen to this, particularly from the UK, I'm sure you've had tons of, of love over your career from guys in the UK. Over here, the, mm. the, the boxing fans absolutely love the fighters. What's your message before we wrap it up to anyone listening, but particularly You know, You know, I came, I came over there in 97. You came I over there. I was in um yeah, I was over at um at John Thax at John Thaxon's gym. Oh, okay. No, I didn't know that. And and um and um because I was there with Tony Tucker when he fought Herbie Hyde. Oh, okay. Yeah, we was in Norwich. Norwich, yeah, 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 yeah. Were you yeah, I'm Norwich. sure you were yeah. well received. I'm sure they liked you over here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well I, well, you know, at that time I wasn't I was only like uh yeah, I think I was. I think I. I think I was ten and zero at the time. Yeah. Yeah, me and me and, me and John Thaxon was coming up at the same time. I thought we probably would end up fighting, but it never happened. Okay, that's cool. But no, just like I say, before we wrap it up, please uh, send a message to anyone that listens, and particularly the guys here in the UK that have loved and supported you throughout your entire career. Uh, appreciate appreciate the love, and you know, I I know a lot of the. A lot of the guys we follow each other on Facebook and Instagram, and we talk all the time. So you know, it's it's it's, it's all love. Absolutely, and I just want to say, Randall, it's been an absolute delight and a pleasure speaking with you, walking down memory lane with you. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope we can speak again in the future. Oh, anytime, anytime, anytime. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Alan the Savage Babich, obviously going to be boxing on Dillian White's October 30th undercard in London. Um, I thought, I really thought he was going to be taking on Lucas Brown. I'm not sure where I've got that from. I'm, I'm sure it was official, but anyways, it looks like that fight's no longer happening and Babich is now getting in with Eric Molina. I'm not expecting too much um, of a different scenario, really. I think he would have 
and I think he gets both guys out there quite early, um, Babich. Um, anyway, that's it for that one. Moving on to the final piece of news that I have. If anything else, uh, you know, happens from now to the end of the show, if any other news is to be broken while we're recording, I will speak about it at the very end. Um, but in the other piece of news, Javante Davis and Rolando Romero, it is official. It takes place Sunday, December 5th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. So that should be a decent fight we're going to get to see how good Rolando Romero really is a lot of people think he's cashing a check that um you know well I don't know what the saying is but writing a check he can't cash I guess is is what I'm trying to say but anyway that's it for the news moving on now to the preview part of the show we're going to start here tomorrow October 22nd at the Olympia Theatre in Montreal Quebec Canada over here return to the ring for former Triple G opponent Steve Rolls 20 and 1 he takes on Gregory Trennell who's 14 and 7 with two draws but the main event Oscar Rivas 27 and 1 taking on Ryan Riziki who's 13 and 0 with 13 KOs that's over 12 rounds I've got a feeling that's for a bridger weight title or something like that um, I think really and truly Riziki is a light heavyweight and obviously Rivas is a heavyweight, so I'm guessing it's some kind of bridgeweight thing. I don't really know. Uh, moving out now to Poland, one fight to mention over here. We've got Nikodem Jezuski, 20-1 with one draw. He got knocked out in two rounds by Lawrence Okoli at the back end of last year. He gets in in a 10-rounder against friend of the show, friend of Eddie's, Steve Cunningham. 30-9 with a draw, the former cruiserweight world champion. Um, obviously didn't look too impressive last time out against Frank Mir, but I think he was coming off about four years in activity, but he's back here in Poland. Um... We've also got on the undercard Yuri Kalenga, 27-6 against Sergei Radchenko, 7-7. Seven seven. Um, that's about it for that. And moving out now to the main event, really, of the entire week. It takes place at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. It's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be on Sky Sports over here. We've got the champion, Jamel Herrin, 23-2, defending his WBO Super Featherweight World title against Shakur Stevenson, 16-0 undefeated. Before we get into that one, I just want to mention real quick the undercard. Um, we've got a return to the ring. I think it's his second pro fight now for the grandson of the greatest, um, Nico Ali Walsh. He gets in with James Wesley, who I think is also... 1-0 as a pro. You've also got a couple of other people. You've got um, Evan Holyfield as well, the son of Evander Holyfield. He gets in with Charles Stanford over six rounds. But yeah, let's concentrate on the main event. Both guys have been on the show before. Obviously, Jamel Herring, um, you know, big friend of the show. One of the coolest guys in boxing. Um, my take on this, Eddie, is very short and sweet, so I'm going to come to you I don't have too much to say. I think it's going to be a very skillful uh, fight. I think that obviously Jamel has to use his size, considering really and truly he moved down from lightweight to get down to 130. He seems like he's, you know, very comfortable at that weight, I'd say. And Shakur Stevenson, we've got to remember, really starting his career, still getting bigger and stronger as he gets older, I'm sure, but he started his career at featherweight. The size factor, you'd imagine, plays in Jamel Herring's hands. And the experience as a pro in Jamel Herring's hands, however, the experience as an amateur might not come into it, but I'd say that lies with Shakur Stevenson. I think 
It's got points written all over it, this fight. Even though I thought the exact same thing last time Jamel got in the ring when he knocked out Carl Frampton. I thought he'd go to the distance with him. He knocked him out. He surprised me. But I think Shakur Stevenson, a bit too fresh to be knocked out. I think it goes the distance. Um, Shakur Stevenson as well, going the distance last time with with Jeremiah Nakafila. No one was really too impressed with that performance there. Um I'm 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 really struggling to pick a winner. I I I'm obviously I'm obviously more on Jamel's side, so I'd, I'd like to see him win, as I'm sure most people would. But it's a tough fight. It's a really tough fight, and I just think it got my pick is that it goes the distance. I'm just not sure which way the judges will see it, and I think it's going to be a very highly skilled contest with a lot of close rounds. Yeah, I agree. I can I couldn't agree more. This is a pick 'em. It's a hard it's a hard fight because. Looking at Jamel and his experience and what he does well in the ring, and then how it matches up with Shakur Stevenson, I do think that you know the some I don't want to say the skill edge, you know, completely goes to one side being with Shakur or whatever, but he's like he has a little more of you know flash, a little more, you know, um, I guess a little more sauce with it than Jamel does, but then Jamel has a little bit more pop and a little bit more. Uh, ability to, you know, hurt you in any sense. And then size and, and then experience too. So, you know what I mean? Even if Shakur maybe have a little more, you know, the talent edge and skill edge, you know, there's a lot of other things that, you know, that uh, Jamel checks the, uh, checks the box for. So it's kind of hard. It's a really difficult fight. It's what will win over in the end. I'm not, I don't, I don't know what, you know, the, the, you know, the general consensus would be with most most fighters, and generally, I think that most guys would think the same thing. Would be like, this is a tough one to to kind of judge, see where it's going to go. You know what I mean? Like, we don't. It's really going to be hard to pick before the night. Um, you know, Shakur is really, really talented. Has a lot of abilities, good speed, crafty. Just a lot of things going for him that way, but. It's, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm with you on this one. Honestly, I mean, it, I mean, I, you want if you want to go with youth and 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 who has uh, you know, I can't even say better future because you just never know. You know what I mean? Like this, anything can happen. I mean, this if Jamel goes and say beats Shakur, maybe stops him or something like that with a crazy shot, which is unlikely. Who knows what this does to his confidence going forward? You know what I mean? Maybe his, his career is in the dumps after it. Maybe he wins and the exact same thing happens to Jamel. Maybe, maybe you know, it's a draw. Who the hell knows? This is just a really difficult fight to, 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 I imagine it's going to be a tough fight to score too. So it's going to be like, it's going to be a crazy one. A lot of skill. Um, I don't think this one is for the lay fan. I think this one is for the hardcores, to be honest. They're going to want to, uh, there's going to be a lot of little things that you're going to see, little nuggets of, of, um, of skill that you're going to see on both sides that you have to, I think, have an educated eye toward. I'm not saying that, you know, regular folks who don't watch boxing all the time and don't understand it quite as we do won't enjoy it, but it's definitely going to be for the more educated boxing fan, I think. Yeah, and I think Jamel, as I've said before, one of the most improved fighters in world boxing since he's linked up with, uh, you know, Brian McIntyre. He just looks a completely different fighter. Obviously, the constant sparring with Terence Crawford 
completely mm. and obviously sharpening his tools. And he's got a lot of experience as a pro. Like I say, you know, he's 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 uh, lost a few fights, come back stronger. He really has, and he's improved for it. And um, you know, his work rate as well, I think, is is you know a, a really good thing. I remember him struggling when he the first couple of fights. I think he had under Brian McIntyre. He he still was a little bit. His gas tank wasn't fantastic around the midway point, but it seems like those problems have gone now as well. You know, he's he's. I mean, he's he looks like he's completed a camp before he starts camp. I mean, there's no one with a with a better physique in boxing than Jamel Herring, especially at those lighter weights. I'm not talking about an Anthony Joshua. I mean, Jamel Herring is ripped to shreds, man. He's got an eight pack before he even walks in the gym to start camp. So this guy is super dedicated, super disciplined, and. He's got the ingredients to beat Shakur, but Shakur, you know, such a potential superstar for the future, you know. I mean, God, I've said it for ages, complete destined to be a boxer. I mean, this guy was born to fight, I think. I mean, what a good fighter. Very defensive mind as well at times. It's going to be such an interesting fight, but that is all I can say about it. It's going to be great. All I can say is make sure you tune in. Do not miss this fight. It's it's huge for that super featherweight division. The winner as well, um, you know, will have to fight soon enough. You'd think Archie Sharp. So that's going to be fantastic. I'm a big I'm a big um, friend of Archie's, of course. But anyway, that wraps up the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the reviewing. We welcomed our special guest. We did the the news in part two, and I've just wrapped up the preview part there. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 314 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest, the former two-weight world champion, Randall Bailey. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. There has been a couple of pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. I'm going to start with this one here. November the 6th, Frank Warren is lining up a card that's going to be taking place in Birmingham. Uh, the bill will be top by Zach Parker. He gets in with Marcus Morrison. On the undercard, the return to the ring for Denzel Bentley. He gets in um, for the first time since losing to Felix Cash. Um... We also have Nathan Heaney on that card as well, Ryan Garner, and the return to the ring for Willie Hutchinson, the first time back since being stopped by Lennox Clark, a couple of other guys as well on that card. In other news, it's a it's a big blow actually, Dillian White out of his fight against Otto Wallin, Dillian White forced out with a shoulder injury, I'm led to believe. The show still goes ahead though, the main event now will be obviously the unification between Mary McGee and Chantel Cameron, that's been elevated to the main event so that's still going to be a good card certainly i'll be tuning in for it and lopez tiafimo lopez with george cambosos jr finally a date that seems quite secure since matchroom boxing have taken over the purse bids um it's going to be taking place at the hulu theater in madison square garden november 27th the date for that one that's going to be such a good fight it's been cancelled a few times it looks like it's finally going to be happening and remember, if you want to improve your below-the-waist hygiene, visit manscaped.com and use the promo code BOXHARD for 20% off plus free shipping. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.